Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode being recorded on Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Two of our topics we have really been drilling in onto the last year are digital grocery and the impact of COVID on overall digital adoption. One company sits squarely at the intersection of both of those trends, and we are really excited to have them on today's show. That company is Instacart, and we're real thrilled to have on the show their chief revenue officer, Seth Delaire. Welcome to the show, Seth. Hey, thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Seth, we're thrilled to have you. Um, and as you may know from listening to the show, uh, we always like to start by uh, giving the the audience just a little bit of background about our guests. and. And uh, you, of course, have a, a, a very interesting e-commerce background. So can you uh, share it with our audience? Sure. Um, and again, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so my current title is Chief Revenue Officer here at Instacart. And really what I'm focused on and have been working on for the past 16 months since I joined the company uh, is, is creating a, an advertising business. And um, I, I come at this opportunity... Uh, after having spent uh, just about eight years at Amazon, where I was in various leadership positions uh, in the uh, advertising sales and marketing teams uh, over there. Uh, I joined in February 2012. And prior to that, I was at Yahoo, prior to that at Microsoft, and prior to that at Amazon. So uh, the bulk of my business career has been in digital media, both in terms of uh, sales and, and buying. And really, the emphasis for the past uh, 10 years, at least, has been on uh, e-commerce and retail. Uh, so uh, it's really exciting to be here at Instacart, particularly in this moment when uh, consumer behavior is, is tipping into uh, grocery shopping online. And I'm able to you know, use a lot of the experiences that I've had in my career to to help make it make an ads business happen over here. That's awesome, uh, and the the timing for having you on this show is terrific. Uh, Scott obviously mentioned COVID and the intersection of digital and and grocery, and I know Instacart's even bigger than grocery, so we'll we'll eventually talk about that. Um, but a close second to digital and grocery that we've been talking about lately are all these retail media networks. Um, and you're obviously squarely there as well. So on our last uh, episode of the podcast, we, we actually were covering Amazon's earnings. And to me, one of the, the standout features of, of their last earnings was this, uh, that they've now surpassed $20 billion in ad revenue over the last 12 months. Um, I know you, you, uh, were heavily involved in, in, uh, building that business. I mean, A, is there any part of you that's, uh, uh, proud or sad to see the, the, um, the success now that you're not there? Um, not implying it's success because you're not there. 
but the related question I was interested to ask is, uh, in my mind, it's entirely possible that at $20 billion in ad revenue, that the ad revenue is more po- profitable for Amazon than AWS is. And I feel like that doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, so to answer the first part of the question, <laughs> definitely proud. Uh, the experience that I had there was a lot of fun. It was a great learning experience. And I was able to work with uh, some, some very talented people. And there aren't many opportunities where you get to work on an entrepreneurial project uh, within the safety or, or that has the resourcing of a large successful company. And that was really what the experience was like for me uh, getting in there in 2012 and really helping build the business from a, a sales and marketing side for sure, but then working shoulder to shoulder with some pretty talented people on the product side uh, and and watching that business move from what I would argue was an experiment into something that is a material contributor to to the business. And so those those earnings reports when they come out, I I actually I get excited about them for for that team that's still over there. I think I think it's pretty great uh, what they're able to do or, or have been able to do, even if I'm not there anymore. And the the reason why I say that too is is not just because I've enjoyed my time at, at Amazon, but the success that Amazon has in terms of creating an e-commerce advertising capability or, or marketing discipline, if you will, is important for the industry in that it, it allows other businesses to to do something similar. And you know, you mentioned there's a whole bunch of different retail uh, ad networks that are starting up or, or, or media networks, uh, whatever the term was that you, however you referred to them. But the reason why they're popping up is because they're durable pieces of business. And the if I reflect back to early 2012, when I had arrived at, at Amazon to help set up the, the North American ad sales team, uh, there was a lot of waiting around in the lobby at the agency, a lot of explanations as to why Amazon even had ads. Like, why do, you know, why do, why do they need to have advertising? Like, where are the ads on Amazon? Um, you know, just give us your data. That's what we want. And that, that was a, a difficult uh, sort of mentality to change. And really, we, we were successful in, in creating a, uh, an understanding that e-commerce as a marketing discipline is similar to uh, the same sort of trajectory or, or life cycle, if you will, of paid search or social media. And that both of those practices, if you will, started uh, because and they were new they they started from scratch they required a lot of education to the industry a lot of risk taking on both the publisher side and on the advertiser side the marketer side too to to invest in in those areas and ultimately they became things that were over time well understood and uh, really performant pieces of, of advertising uh, and marketing and I see a lot of those similar traits 
over here at Instacart. And while Instacart is e-com and uh, in, in some ways you know, not dissimilar from some of the other media or retail networks, if you will, retail media networks, the thing that makes us unique is that we are singularly focused on grocery. And the opportunity in the grocery space is super compelling just because you have a couple things. One, on the advertiser side of the business, you have not a lot of insight. There's a lot, a lot of opacity in terms of what's happening in the online grocery space. Um, and uh, there are many, you know, the grocery industry is still regional in, in many cases. Uh, it's a $1 trillion a year business in the United States alone that maybe has somewhere between 5 and 10% of, uh, in absolute dollars of that, that business is, is being conducted online. And that looks different from sort of mass merchandise or general merchandise environments like an Amazon, a Best Buy, a Walmart, where they're selling you know, all sorts of things, uh, hard goods as well as, as food. Um, but what's exciting to me is that uh, we're able to work with brands that maybe haven't been able to participate in e-com as, as much as they would like to because the transactional component just didn't exist or measurement of the transactional component was difficult to do. And Instacart sits in a, a unique place where you know, we're working with you know, almost 600 different grocery banners now and have significant reach where we can help marketers understand you know, how consumers are interacting with their brands and you know how much they're buying online relative to you know the behaviors that they're they've been demonstrating historically through physical retail so that gets me super excited because those that that grocery piece of the business even two years ago was was very nascent you know it still is today but as a result of covid it's been an accelerant in terms of pushing consumers into trial of uh, online grocery shopping. And what we found is a lot of that uh, trial is durable behavior now as we're you know, continuing to sort of wind our way through COVID. Um, but it's, it's also created a ton of opportunity for, for, for marketers as well. Maybe let's, let's start at the top. So I think everyone knows what Instacart is, but just in case, like when you're um, you know, when you're at a cocktail par party describing Instacart to someone that doesn't know, how do you describe it? Well, I describe it as a, <laughs> so we are an online grocery delivery service and we uh, work with uh, over 600 grocers nationally uh, in the, in the U S uh, and well in North America, really. But um, you know, we allow, uh, consumers to shop for the the, the food that they love uh, and do it at the stores that they love uh, and get a whole bunch of time back that they can use to spend enjoying that food with their family and, and loved ones. And that in very high level is how I describe Instacart. Um, you know, it at a more tactical level and certainly in these times, um, we, you know, we talk more and focus more on the convenience and the safety of the service and that we're allowing people to shelter in place to, um, you know, to have contactless delivery of the grocery items and, and help solve for trip occasions that 
normally they would be doing in person, but um, you know, for for their own health or safety reasons, they've uh, elected to to find a way to to have someone else do that for them. And um, we we do that really well, and um, we've been delighting uh, consumers uh, with that service. And and then we're also you know offering uh, retailers the opportunity to meet that consumer expectation that they can shop for groceries online. And that's another critical you know, part of our marketplace is the relationships that we have with retailers. So um, you know, we, we help retailers uh, offer online grocery shopping and delivery or pickup as well. So it's a, uh, you know, we're not just about grocery delivery. Um, you know, we also, as a business, you know, solve some and provide opportunity for uh, for retailers as well uh, as well as consumer solutions. Awesome. And then I kind of think in the e-commerce world of it as a three-sided marketplace. I don't know if you guys uh, use that language or not. So on one side you've got this grocery store uh, component, and you said you know, over six hundred. And then you have do you call them Instacarters or shoppers or what do you call shoppers? The, shoppers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then over on the other side you've got consumers. Do you guys talk about any scale of the shoppers and consumer legs of that? You know, imagine thousands of shoppers and millions of consumers. Yeah, we, uh, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, millions of consumers, hundreds of thousands of shoppers, and then, you know, the, the other sort of component of that marketplace that I'm responsible for is the, the advertiser marketer component as well. So, you know, they're a new element to our marketplace, but we're also working with those brands to make sure that they have an opportunity to promote their products to those consumers when they're coming through the store to build a basket and shop. And consumers have the expectation that they'll be able to find the uh, products in our storefronts, in our marketplace, that they would find if they were shopping at their favorite local grocery store. So uh, that's the another component to our marketplace that is is newer, um, but one we're investing in heavily. Yeah, I'm a full disclosure. I'm a big Instacart user and have been for uh, feels like three or four years. So the early days, um, and it's been really impressive uh, as a entrepreneur to watch you guys build it out. And the in the early days, you know, it, it had all these. It was hard to find things that were in stock and, um, you know, and then the experience just got better and better and better over time. And then uh, it's been really impressive to watch you guys deal with the surge of COVID. I imagine that's been a pretty, pretty crazy scale that you guys have had to work through as, as that's hit. Yeah. First of all, thank you for your business. I'm glad that that's the experience that you've had. Um, COVID has been transformational in, in many ways for, our business, um, you know, it's it's forever changed the the consumer shopping experience for sure. Uh, it's been an accelerant for online grocery shopping, uh, and and really led to uh, a ton of trial in the beginning. You know, when we were sort of in the the March last few weeks of March, first few weeks of April, where we saw the uh, a wave of of consumer demand come through. Uh, that was unlike anything that we had really seen before, and um, you know, as as the sort of pandemic is, you know, we're coming up on a year now um, of of sheltering in place and sort of how we've modified our own 
behaviors. Um, you know, a lot of these these uh, trials uh, or things that consumers were trying, certainly within Instacart, have become habitual. And, you know, they're habit forming, and uh, because they're they're habit forming and providing value and, and convenience and utility, they're durable, and and that's what we're seeing across the business. So, you know, we did learn a ton in terms of how to execute against a, a huge wave of consumer demand. Um, and uh, that's really made us better prepared for uh, the in the event that we we see another sort of surge like that, we'll we will be able to deliver the same level of efficiency um, and meet the uh, the same sort of standards that uh, that you just mentioned uh, for your own experience as an instacart consumer um, in the future. So we're really excited about that. it was it was challenging for sure, a lot of a lot of hard work. Uh, went into execution, not only from the the shopper side and and making sure that all the consumer demand was being met, but then just the the stress on on the technical ends of the business and you know the technology and and making sure that you know that we were able to function uh, and and under all of that demand uh, and provide the the consumer experience that people were expecting uh, was you know, was remarkable. And, and it took quite a bit of time and energy from the teams here, from partner teams with whom I work with every day. So uh, it was a great learning experience for us as a business. And um, it, it's really put us in a pretty good place for, for how we scale going forward into the future. Uh, that that's awesome, Seth. Uh, and you, you hit on a topic that comes up a lot in, in uh, my work life. I'm, I'm curious to hear your, your perspective. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, everyone's talking about, oh, my gosh, this is going to accelerate digital shopping immensely. And, you know, McKinsey famously like came up with this 10 years of digital adoption in 10 minutes. And they predicted that like 35 percent of all sales would be online. Um, and that didn't really happen. Right. Like uh, for for general merchandise, e-commerce grew from like 13 percent. It probably spiked at 19 and came back down to 16, um, which is still a significant acceleration and meaningful, but it's not, it's not 10 years of progress. Uh, but I do think in grocery, we may have experienced like five or 10 years worth of progress specifically because of COVID. And I know there's a lot of different data sets out there, but the, the data set I use, we were at like 3% digital grocery penetration before COVID. So like three out of every hundred dollars was spent online. And now we're probably sitting somewhere slightly north of 10%. So that's, that's enormous. Um, and, you know, whenever I talk about with that a client, with a client, their first question is, like, is that permanent? Is some of that going to go back when people can go back to restaurants? Like what, you know, how do you see it playing out in the long run? Uh, pretty similar. So we're looking at the same data sets that, that you just cited or, or similar. So, um, you know, the nice, we're wrong together at least. <laughs> well, no, the 10%, that number is basically what we're, we're seeing. And, you know, I guess like wrong in the best way and that, you know, everything, I, I mean, I'll, I'll talk to my own personal experience about why, you know, one of the decision criteria for me coming over to Instacart to begin with was that I just, I believed that over time consumers would become comfortable with shopping for groceries online. And this was one of the last uh, behaviors to tip into to e-com with any scale. And in fact, 
everything that I thought would happen over three years happened over three weeks between the last, you know, the last week of March and the first two weeks of April. And, you know, the, the estimates that, that we were using as a business for forecasting, you know, at this point last year looked more similar to probably the, the three to 5% where you'd say, wow, that would be great if, you know, if just that much consumer behavior came into this gigantic U.S. grocery market. And in fact, now those third parties are saying that it's probably somewhere at 10%. And, you know, that's, that's a dramatic move. And what we're, you know, we can't, I can't cite specific numbers, but um, what we have seen is much of the, the behavior, both from a customer acquisition standpoint, people who we acquired who are new to Instacart, uh, but then also from a frequency standpoint. So people who once acquired, like, are they ordering a second time, a third time? Um, and, and using that as a measure of the durability, those numbers are, are uh, I'll just say, uh, very positive, um, you know, without sharing any specific details. So um, this is something that, uh, you know, that we're expecting to continue. Um, we, we aren't, uh, there may be, of course, at some point, like some variance in, in consumer behavior that is a result of things, you know, hopefully going back to quote unquote normal um, that may impact a whole host of different behaviors that we had historically been measuring in some way um, in a pretty static form. But from a grocery standpoint, um, you know, getting your food delivered um, or being having the ability to solve for a trip occasion that was related to food when you can't go out for dinner or you don't have as many options to go out for dinner or uh, you don't feel safe shopping or you've been told to shelter in place, like it had a dramatic impact on our business and and, and the industry. It's not just, I mean, Instacart, there are other uh, you know, uh, online grocery folks, you know, my, my former employer. Uh, being one of them where, you know, they're, they're seeing big grocery numbers as well. So um, it's, that to me is just another sign of how durable this behavior is. Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree. Uh, I, you, you know, your old boss used to talk about one-way doors versus two-way doors. And it sort of feels like, you know, when you get all these, these uh, um, items showing up at your house and you don't have to do any work, that, that kind of feels like a one-way door that you're not likely to walk back through. Um. The I do have a question though. Scott and I are super old. You're you're a little more youthful. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so we were around at the beginning of e-commerce, and there's kind of this common way in every category when it got disrupted by digital. Um, the the legacy players weren't very good at digital, and there there was some third party that could really accelerate their digital capability. Right. So um, early on, of course. Target and Toys R Us famously outsourced e-commerce to this startup called Amazon. Um, and that like arguably was a smart decision for them to, you know, dip their toes in digital. Eventually they wanted to bring that in house. Um, a lot of retailers outsource their digital to, uh, this, this, uh, uh, digital facilitator back then called GSI commerce. Um, which in many ways I think of as kind of an, uh, an analogous company to, to Instacart. Um, and, and GSI commerce was enormously successful. The founder of GSI commerce now, uh, is Mark Rubin. He owns the 76ers. Um, the, <laughs> I, but I am curious, like, is there a, 
a risk, like you're, you're sort of an intermediary that helps all these retailers get really good at digital grocery really fast and solve a bunch of really complicated, hairy problems. But in the long run, if, if digital grocery becomes 10% or more of all grocery sales, do grocers need to develop native digital chops? And does that make it less likely that they would continue to stick with you? Like, what, what do you think the, the long-term ramifications are like, you know, does, does Instacart's role need to evolve or, or, you know, can you kind of play this, this intermediary role forever? Well, we emphasize our partnerships with retailers because we help enable them. Like we, we don't compete with them. And that I think is one major distinction between the analogs that you drew with Amazon and and Target and uh, Toys R Us, in that in each of those cases, Amazon was maybe not only helping Target or Toys R Us execute against an e-commerce strategy, but they're also competing with them in some cases. Um, you know, in in the same sort of environment, uh, or using the same, um, you know, uh, trying to attract the same audiences, if you will, and. You know, we are working with retailers, helping them deliver uh, a, a technology solution to consumers who have an expectation that they can shop their neighborhood grocer or their national grocer um, online. And if the the retailer uh, is you know, prefers to work with us because our technology is great and the service levels that we provide are great and the consumers love using the service, then we think that's that's a great place to be. Um, you know, we've been very clear uh, publicly about our position in enabling our retail partners and really servicing them. Um, so we spend a ton of time and attention working with them uh, every day uh, to develop capability and improve uh, the, the capabilities that we uh, provide them with. And so I, what we aren't doing is is competing with them or, or running our own grocery store, uh, you know, right next door to their storefront, which is more analogous, I think, to, to what the situation you described with Amazon was in the way back. For sure. So I just see them as being totally different. And, you know, there, I'm certain that there will be some grocery stores or, or retailers that decide to, uh, you know, go it alone and at some point and that, you know, that's certainly their decision to make, uh, right now, you know, we're focused on helping as many grocery stores as we can figure out how to help consumers shop online for groceries. Yeah. And, uh, Jason could go as listeners know, he could go another eight hours digging into the grocery industry, but I am curious about, uh, your main role there. You are selling, you know, ads and as an Instacart user, I'm guessing. So occasionally, you know, I'll have a brand. It seems to be brands that will pop in there and say, Hey, you've got some granola bars uh, in your cart. Would you like some Quaker Oats uh, oatmeal um, kind mm -hmm. of thing? And um, is that kind of the ad network? Is it is it mostly brands you're selling to? Maybe walk us through, you know, who's in this ad network and um, what kind of ad units are are you guys offering to them? Well, right now we are 
just selling ads within our owned and operated uh, platform. So uh, we, you know, are not sort of working uh, with what I would consider non-endemic partners. Uh, you know, all of the advertisers whom we're addressing have their products on the shelf at the grocery store. So that's the presently that's the addressable market for us. So, um, you know, that is uh, largely the domain of, of big CPG companies, medium-sized CPG companies, food, a lot of food, um, and household goods and, and things that you might find where you, you know, walk in the aisles of your uh, brick and mortar grocery store. And what we do is uh, we help those brands get in front of consumers when they're coming in and shopping. And the shopping behaviors that our consumers perform are, you know, take a couple different uh, forms. So the first one is that we may have someone come into the store and start using the search bar to build a basket. Very directed, self-selected search behaviors where they're looking for a particular brand or they may be looking for a particular uh, a commodity term for a type of product like milk, for instance, in which case we'll, we'll work with brands to, uh, to provide them some counsel on how to get their products up to the top of the shelf, if, we, if you will, or, or the best placement on the shelf, which is our, what we call our feature product placements. And those are paid, paid search placements uh, within, um, within that type of consumer shopping experience. Then, um, you know, we have, other uh, browse behaviors that consumers may perform where they come in and they start looking or shopping and browsing through a specific category or aisle. Uh, we have standard sort of graphical display units there uh, that allow brands to you know, create awareness about products or advertise uh, specials uh, to, to consumers who are, who are shopping and building their business or building their baskets that way. And then we have a, a number of products that are sort of temporary price reduction, you know, TPR types of products. So coupons for individual UPCs and products that might give a consumer some incentive to, to try a product or uh, what we call delivery promotions, which are uh, incentives that uh, brands may use to, uh, to help a consumer build a basket. And they may take the form of, uh, you know, save $5 when you buy $25 worth of product or a free delivery. So and it, that's really what we're focused on right now is making sure that, you know, the brands understand how to engage with consumers when they're coming into our marketplace to shop. And that the, the opportunities, the advertising that we're putting in front of the consumers is accretive to the shopping experience. So we're not doing things that are, you know, interruptive, uh, you know, we're, uh, and we're also, you know, not running sort of non-endemic advertising in those placements. Um, you know, we're really focused on working with, you know, with those brands uh, and manufacturers whose products are on the shelf at the grocery store. Got it. And it seems like in traditional grocery, the brands, there's like, all these slotting fees, there's like getting in the end cap, there's couponing, there's the circular. Are you guys, is that where the dollars are coming from? Or are you guys pulling from like the digital side, like the, you know, maybe Google AdWords or something like that? It's situation dependent and it's all over the place. So yeah. um, <laughs> we, we aren't, 
uh, right now focused on any one particular team within any one particular enterprise or manufacturer. Uh, we're really focused on telling a story and a narrative. We're trying to educate people within these big, you know, within any type of CPG manufacturer. It could be a, a medium-sized, small, startup-y type of company, or it could be a large, established uh, you know, manufacturer. Um, they they all have similar learning agendas for online grocery shopping because the behavior is so new. So while there are some manufacturers who are really good and very evolved in terms of their e-com strategies for those, uh, let's, let's call them like general merchandise uh, retail experiences, when you're talking about being able to market frozen goods or non-shelf stable items um, that's a totally different type of behavior and, and, and marketing behavior and then a, a totally different type of data set that we're working with that um, it just hasn't existed before so um, it's existed in a brick and mortar environment not in online and so we can show up and and talk about the performance of a particular investment that you're making. So if you're, you're buying paid search, uh, we can tell you the, you know, the return on that ad spend, if you will. And those are the table stakes. That's the beginning of the conversation. It's like, okay, how many sales did you gen did, did I generate by giving you this dollar for promotion? And we have a closed loop attribution. Those are first, that's first party data that we're observing. So we're not inferring what's happening. We're actually seeing the transaction happen. And then once, and the irony here is that that's sort of the table stakes that today in e-com and, and you guys know this, um, it's, it's just ironic to me. That's the least interesting part of the conversation right now, because everyone expects, of course, you're going to give me that. In you know 2012 2013 when when I was at Amazon and we were really working to to bring e-commerce advertising to the industry that was not a well understood output uh, or measurement for for advertising and uh, it took us a while to to sort of talk about that and get engagement and acceptance from the industry for that particular uh, metric. And here we have it. And it's like, okay, great. Of course, you're going to give me that. What I want to know, in addition to that, are any types of signals that you may see that are adjacent to that particular behavior. So yes, I got you know, $6 back for every in sales for every dollar that I gave you in, in, in advertising. But can you help me understand of those people who bought the product, like is their behavior or purchase frequency different than someone who came through an organic listing and didn't click on an ad? Is there something about that this particular cohort of consumer that uh, their basket composition, for instance, that might be different? Like, is that I could say, okay, this is a trip occasion that is different from something else, or, or that another consumer may be performing? The oftentimes when we show up, we have representatives from the digital investment team from the or e-com team um, we have some brand marketers we have the chief commercial officers in the sales side um, we we have uh, really and the shopper marketing teams who come in and with their pencils sharpened ready to talk about 
results. And so the the fun part about this is that we have an Instacart has visibility into all sorts of different data signals that can help these manufacturers get smarter about promoting their products and and how to speak to consumers in this in this new shopping environment. Um, the and another part of the fun challenge here is that there are other e-commerce platforms out there that are doing a, a good job of of providing that data and have been for years so that the sophistication of the people with whom we're talking is quite high. So we don't have to do a lot of the work about, well, this is, you know, let me talk with you about your return on ad spend or ROAS. They're already there. They want to go to, okay, let's, what's the lifetime value of the customer? Can we look at basket decomposition? Can I define different uh, consumer cohorts in ways that map back to things that I might be doing in other parts of the business? So we're aspiring to, to help uh, the, the brands with whom we work with understand that. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Like you guys have are are tackling a really complicated space. Um but uh and so it, it makes all of these conversations more difficult than they are in some other categories. But like uh one one of the things I'm always curious about is because uh as you and Scott mentioned, um the funding for an ad may be coming from the a brand marketing department, it may be coming from a brand a a, a retail trade team or a shopper marketing team. Uh, historically at a brand, those kinds of teams had different success criteria, right? Like the, those shopper marketers might've been looking at, at actual sell through a product. And those brand marketers might've been looking at, at impressions or brand recall or things like that. Um, so you're, you're potentially getting funded by both and you're this super complicated, I would even argue four-sided marketplace because you've got, uh, consumers, shoppers, retailers, and brands, um, it like are you able to have that kind of detailed cohort analysis incrementality conversation with with all of your brand advertisers cuz part of me would be worried as a brand i might not even see myself through on instacart because it's it's not actually my inventory and you're not wholesaling my products right like you're i i sold the product to a a retailer and then the the consumer bought the product through you from that retailer so it seems complicated to track. Well, the so everyone wants to everyone understands that there are new signals here from in in all of the sides of the marketplace that you just described and we do see ourselves as a four-sided marketplace with each of the constituents that you identified. And each one of those has some type of uh, data signal that would be helpful to the brand advertiser. Um, and, and so when we show up to talk about our offer, uh, we're talking about, you know, tactically, like here's, here's where you can place your ads or your promotions. And here is the sort of the, uh, receipt, if you will, that we'll give you in exchange for that investment that talks about the, you know, things that are causal to that investment. It's often the more sophisticated questions are coming in the things that are adjacent to and maybe not a direct cause of the ad spend. So, um, you know, consumer behaviors, it it could be um, how often was, you know, a particular item that was added to the basket, not found in the store for like out of stock. 
Um, it could be something along the lines of, uh, you know, content uh, like and data feeds and the quality of the content that the the brand uh, sees in in our marketplace and like how they they tune that up or put their best foot forward. It's it really depends on who's in the meeting. Uh, and it's all over the place. And that to me is what's exciting about it because um, there's no lack of interest in what we're trying to do. <laughs> and so I see that as a great learning opportunity for our business. You know, if we can understand how the brand, or if we can, and this applies not to every side of our marketplace, understand the brand, understand the shopper, understand the consumer, understand the retailer. And if we can do that, and then help each one of those people, you know, improve at whatever the result that they've decided is important or that is the determinant of success. If we can help them improve, then, then we will, we will not have a lack of requests for meetings. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I get it. And I know you get this, but just, just for our listeners, like I would argue, um, the digital advertising in this category is even way more important than a lot of other categories because in a, a traditional in-store grocery shopping visit, that shopper makes a lot of unplanned purchases. Like they serendipitously discover a lot of products, they walk by a lot of products, and they put a lot of products in their bag that were not on their shopping list. Um, and so when they, they shop digitally, um, some of those opportunities are much more challenging, right? Like people, I imagine, tend to shop off of their list a lot more. And so um, brands have to work harder and, and leverage tools like you're providing to, to um, help introduce new products and sell new things to kind of break onto that list. Yeah, and that's a great challenge for us as a, uh, as a marketplace. Like we, we want to be able to create those serendipitous moments in the decision journey. And, you know, because consumers love that stuff, you know, they're, they're, they wouldn't, they're not being forced to add a, uh, a bag of Milano cookies to their basket when they're walking through the, you know, the physical grocery store, because it's in the end cap, they're doing it because they're reminded, like, I love those cookies. I'm going to buy them. And those same types of uh, behaviors happen within our marketplace. And um, what we're seeing is that trip occasions may be different. So we may be, you know, a consumer may be coming into our marketplace and has a very specific trip occasion where this is a stock up or this is uh, my sort of junk food run or whatever. And um, so what we're trying to do is help bring those data points uh, and, and signals back to brands in a way that helps them get smarter about how consumers are shopping. And then anything that we can do from a, an ad product perspective that will make that trip through our store, that basket building experience accretive and more fun and, and more convenient and more efficient, we're going to do that. We're, we're just getting started there really. So um, that that's the fun part. And I agree with you. There are, you know, there are many <laughs> behaviors that happen in the brick and mortar store that would lend themselves to e-com, but then there's a whole host of different things that are exclusively the domain of e-commerce that can be transformative for a business. Yep. And, and we're just getting, we're just scratching the surface there. And to be clear, those Milano cookies are on my shopping list. I don't want to <laughs> imply yeah. that they, 
they weren't. But I do take your point. Um, and and speaking of cookies, I wonder if that's another thing that's maybe driving advertisers in your arms a little bit more right now. Like as as the third party cookies are getting depreciated and the mobile tracking, um, you know, dispute between Apple and Facebook. Um, I could imagine that for a lot of these CPG brands, the uh, their ability to target and effectively advertise on their traditional digital media networks are are um, eroding a little bit. And so is that another trend that maybe, you know, favors people putting more dollars into into retail media like Instacart? I mean, it, it could. And certainly the landscape is is changing and everyone needs to be aware of the sort of compliance obligations that we have. So we're taking a, a you know, we're, we're very cognizant of that. And the fun part about being here at Instacart right now, or, or really for the past, you know, 16 months is that, you know, we're building this from the ground up. So we can in some ways try to anticipate some of those changes in the industry because things are happening right now uh, that, Without the burden uh, of a, a legacy of, of or of technology or tech debt that that would put us in a in a much more precarious position, so uh, so yeah, we're like, but I'm certain that over the course of time that you know the we will also have to be uh, cognizant of those changes and and you know it's not something that we go out and you know I'm not talking about that it's not a selling point. Uh, necessarily, uh, when we're talking with you know sophisticated, programmatic advertisers, you know what what we are talking about and what we're trying to focus on at this stage is just on the amount of cons- uh, consumer adoption, just the surge in online grocery shopping behavior that's sort of tipped into this everyday behavior for a for a gigantic uh, you know part of uh, a part of the the grocery industry and focusing there first on the size of the opportunity and the size of the prize is the right place before um, you know we'll start getting into some of the more uh, technical and 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 legal components here. Like we're that's just that hasn't it hasn't been our focus and and you know most of our products are all within our owned and operated. Uh, you know, site right now too. So we've we've been watching that, and we're you know paying attention to it for sure. But it's not a selling point that we're we're pushing in the marketplace right now or in the industry. Yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how that impacts folks that are crossing sites and and uh, you know what how they react to it. The one and, and this is kind of a total newbie question on my side. You guys are the the ad geniuses here. I'm just a e-commerce guy trying to find my way in the world. The uh, where are you guys on, you know, like self-service tools? So if I am starting Scott's Coconut Water, can I just go somewhere and run my own little search ad? Or are you not quite at that kind of Google slash Amazon self-service point yet? Well, we launched a self-service offering and platform last year. So we're getting started there um, The and continuing to, to push more capability through that platform. So we have a number of, of advertisers that are in agents who are using those self-service tools. Um, and, you know, we're working with APIs as well uh, with some of those partners too. And some of them are, are, are big 
companies. Some of them are small. It, it's really, you know, we're going to map to however the advertiser wants to work with us. Self-service is one of those options. So, um, and it will, I think, continue to take on an increasing amount of importance for us as as the the brands get more comfortable with with buying their ads that way too. Yeah, another thing I've seen, I was kind of curious how this works. So I've I've been on brands sites like, and I would call them brands that kind of usually go into something like a like a chicken or a, a condiment or something like that. And I've seen these recipes, and you know the recipe will have all this stuff, and you can usually there's a button, and you can either you can kind of add it to your Instacart. Is that an ad unit or is that just you guys having some APIs so that they can put those things into the cart on behalf of the consumer? Well, the, you know, adding things to your basket across the, the site is, um, it, but we have many different ways that you can do that. So there's no single point of ingress. Um, okay. but we are, you know, we are looking to enable, you know, both the, uh, sort of adding just an ingredient, for instance, um, like very easy, like making that super convenient and simple, adding an entire recipe to your basket um, as well, or um, allowing for promotion for, in the case of like a commodity item, or if the recipe has branded ingredients, allowing brands to promote those items. So it's uh, we're, we're coming at it in a whole host of different ways. Yeah. And then um, I did notice you guys had started to announce more traditional retailers. Um, I think it was Sephora and maybe Staples. Um, is that, uh, and we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, Shipageddon and we actually coined that on the show here. I don't know if you know that. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because you could, you could think of that as a release valve for, you know, the, the existing networks of e-commerce that are, are the last mile got really jammed up due to COVID plus the holiday. Um, is that how those retailers are, are utilizing you guys or is, or is that uh, different in some way? They're, so you're right. We have started working with some retailers that are not in grocery. Um, I, will, I will state, though, that grocery remains our foundation and, and focus for the company. Uh, there's so much opportunity for us there uh, that that continues to be where we're, we're placing our emphasis. But there are uh, instances and, and, and companies like some of whom you just cited who have very successful e-com businesses, um, but, uh, would benefit from having Instacart as a service to solve for that more immediate or urgent trification. And, um, you know, the, the, the so the, uh, Sephora, who you mentioned, you know, you could have a, a beauty occasion or emergency where, um, you know, we're solving or, or bringing cosmetics or beauty products to a consumer in an hour or less would be a, an awesome, um, uh, convenient service offering. Uh, it's really more about awareness for our consumers when they're coming into Instacart. You know, are they aware that they can shop those those marketplaces or those storefronts within our marketplace? And, and we're just getting started there. So it, it's a great experiment for us. Um, but the uh, it, and it, while we're focused on grocery right now, you could see where there would be other retail experiences uh, for things that aren't food that would, would benefit from our service. The, the example that that I 
tend to cite is is my 17 year old son so um you know he has an expectation that he can find anything on his phone any type of content video content music content um, you know a podcast a book report uh instantaneously if he doesn't he gets super frustrated he can order a burrito online uh you know over his phone in an app he can get a teriyaki bowl um he can order a ride somewhere all these things show up in you know 30 minutes or less or an hour or less and the irony is that the slow poke in his consumer experience are the companies that deliver things in two days and in his experience, as he ages into a consumer who will be shopping for home goods or groceries, I just don't see his expectation for convenience lessening over time. <laughs> yeah. And the, right now, Instacart's great at groceries. We have a ton of room to run in the grocery space. But you could see where a, a company, you know, like Sephora would be like, right, we did you know, having that last mile hour or less delivery um, with Instacart bringing those products uh, to the consumer's doorstep or, or the trunk of the car for a pickup would be like hugely helpful and, and maybe expected in the future. So this is a great opportunity for us to learn about the, some of the expectations for those retailers and then also from the uh, consumer demand for them. Uh, Seth, I, I don't know if you realize this, but you totally hit it on the head. Uh, it's a little known fact, but Scott and I used to have so many one hour beauty emergencies. That's actually why we decided to start a podcast. Well, there you so, go. Yeah, it just it's, it's a lot easier than starting a YouTube channel. So um, so I totally, totally get that. Uh, listen, we are coming up on time. Uh, so I do I do want to uh, squeeze one last question in. Uh, we've talked so much about uh, acceleration and this co crazy COVID year has made things go so fast. If I jump back in the hot tub time machine and kind of jump forward a few more years in the future, do you have a vision for, for how Instacart has changed or evolved? Are there, are there like particular types of uh, uh, categories that you, your interest that you think you guys might expand into or new types of, uh, uh, ad products or services that you think you might offer anything you can reveal? Uh, so no major <laughs> reveals, but if I'm looking into my crystal ball, uh, and, and thinking really about the ambition of what we're doing, um, I'm, go I'm, I'm making a bet. I've made this bet by coming here that, in the next five years, if that's the time horizon for the future, that as much as you know, 20 or 25% of all grocery shopping will be occurring online. And if that's the case, that's a massive amount of consumer behavior, a massive amount of consumers looking for a, that are expecting a very specific type of shopping and delivery experience or pickup experience. And all, all of that or, or much of that from an advertising perspective is yet to be learned. And we're learning it right now. So from, a, from an ad product perspective, what we will deliver to the industry uh, will be you know, products that make the consumer shopping experience accretive for sure, but then also are able to help the, the manufacturers get smarter about how the products are being purchased, what, what types of products are desired and 
I just see that as it's so much open territory for us and really for the industry to run it. And that that is where my head is at, like where I'm focused for the next five years. And I think a lot of those things for grocery, which you can argue is one of the most complex retail experiences to solve for because of the the perishable nature of much of the the product, many of those successes that we'll, we have will lend themselves to other retail categories. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to agree. I, um, I think it's a, a super fun space to be in because it is so important and evolving so quickly. Um, but Seth, that's going to be a great place to leave it because it has happened again. We've used up all our allotted time. Um, as always, if you have any comments or questions about this episode, feel free to uh, hit us up on our Facebook page or uh, send us a question on Twitter. Um, Seth, really enjoyed talking to you, and thank you very much for sharing the Instacart story with our listeners. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 